Amen. Advent is, as the hope candle burns, about hope and faith and peace and joy and love and ultimately culminating in the birth of who? Oh, you can do better than that. Who's being born? Jesus is, right? That's where our hope goes, but we talk about this thing called expectation. But what kind of expectation are we talking about? What kind of expectation, the specific kind of expectation that we talk about matters, does it not? You can have anticipation for what is under the tree on Christmas morning. And there is, let's be real, a bit of magic in that, isn't there? A bit of mysticism in the eyes of your child when they are in, our, in the coon house, I'll just tell you what we do. In the coon house, every child must stay in their room and they are not allowed to exit. And, you know, the night before, Christina, they're like, well, what if I'm sick? You stay in your room. What if I'm dying? You're not going to die. And if you do, you'll be with Jesus, which is better, right? Like, I don't actually feel that way. But, like, the point is, is you stay in your room and it, there better be some awful, awful circumstance that you would exit that place. Right. And then morning finally comes hours too late for them. Right. And finally, we say you can come out. And what do they do? Walk leisurely out. Is that what they do? That's not what they do. What do they do? They run. Right. Like we understand these things because why? Because all night Maddox, my 10 year old, is riddled with anxiety, cannot sleep. Because he has what in his heart? Expectation. That dad and mom are going to deliver on the goods. Right? So we understand what expectation is. You're smiling because you understand what expectation, what anticipation, what the good side of anxiety brings. Right? We get it. But I want to ask you if you have any level of anticipation, any level of expectation over the impending coming of the Son of God to make all things new. Advent is that kind of invitation. It's that kind of expectation. It's when the church calendar declares to us in our busyness, declares to us in our hurry to stop and rest and trust and put our hope where it belongs. And you already knew that when you came in here, but you still need, like me, to come in here and be reminded from the Scriptures that you are not God. That we can stop. Some of y'all don't feel like you can stop. We have to carve this moment out together to stop. Right? Yeah, we get it. I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it really well when he said this about Advent. It will be on the screen for you. It said, he, wrote, he wrote these words. He said, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul. Who know themselves to be poor and imperfect. 
and who look forward to something greater to come. That's the reality. Can, can we just be real? That we vote with our time. We vote with our actions. We vote with our faith and where we put our faith. And if we could just all collectively confess that most of the time we put our faith in ourselves and our ability to put things together and string things together, we would be in step one of being able to get where we need to go with Advent, right? I love that. Advent is only possible to those who know themselves to be troubled in soul, to be poor and imperfect. And if that's true, and I think it is, obviously, then another invitation of Advent is for us to step forward and confront our worries and our fears. I think the narrative in Luke, Luke's gospel around the Christmas story is pretty amazing because consistently, as angels are appearing to God's people and we're getting glimpses of divine action coming into everyday life to everyday ordinary people, what is their response to that? Without fail, we see that people are greatly troubled, that they are sore afraid, right? These are the things that we remember from the story. And yet I think we gloss past them and forget that those shepherds abiding in their fields by night were terrified, as you would be, right? Like that was their average day. Can you imagine if I walked off the stage and an angel showed up, like a real one? How, we don't even have an ex, we don't even have a category for that because we are so desensitized to divine action in the world, aren't we? We are. And so the invitation for us to confront our worries and fears is important, I think, because Advent is about hope. The first candle we light on Advent is hope. Jesus talks about hope. And it is the hope that he will come. That he is that greater thing that Bonhoeffer was talking about. But that second coming is full of implications. It's full of implications for what will happen when he comes. But it's also full of implications in your life right now. Because you would likely, since you're sitting here today, agree with me that he's coming. Like you would probably confess that and... Yes, I, I cognitively believe that. But the question still remains is, how does Advent, how does that expectation, how does me knowing or believing, and maybe I need to get to that part today that I actually believe is going to happen, because the reality is, is if it doesn't change the way we live, it's not really faith then, is it? Because for me to rest... Right? Like that's the invitation all through scripture. Right? Even Jesus says, if you are burdened and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Right? That if you will yoke with him, that his burden is light, his yoke is easy. And so if that's not your reality, like it's not mine most days, it's not because the invitation was wrong or misinformed or fake news. It's that we are so wrapped up in our post-truth, post-secular moment that we can't see it. Right? That's, why I love this. That's why I love the language of Scripture that says that we can taste and see that He is good. Right? We need that. And so we have to recognize first that we're troubled in soul. Because here's the deal. In short, we have hope. 
We do have hope. And, and the reality is, is suffering is prevalent. Suffering is universal. It doesn't matter if you are a Christian, a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Catholic, a Hindu, or even an atheist. Everybody suffers. It is the universal language of humanity. Everybody suffers. Everybody goes through difficulty. The good is always commingled with the broken. We talk about that a lot. The difference we believe here at Redeemer is that our Christian faith based on Jesus brings purpose to our pain. And with it, a fixed hope. A fixed hope in Jesus that he will indeed come again because, in fact, he already came, died, rose to life, and then ascended back to that unseen realm to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And therefore, we do church. We gather in his name, right? We sing that joy has come to the world. And at Advent, we say, prepare room in your heart for him. That is the gift, the invitation, all wrapped up in one. Are you making room? My plea to you today is that you would put your hope in Jesus today and not in yourself. And that begins with that stirring of your soul to make room in your heart for him. And yet, there are those things that get in our way, aren't there? Namely, our anxieties, our worries, and our fears. I want to take the next few weeks of Advent and look at the people in the story of Advent, in the story of Christmas, and look at the very real circumstances of their life. That if we were to define it, I want to define fear and anxiety and the combination of the two specifically in this way for you and I as we step into Advent is simply this, looking at the future with no hope. If I look at my circumstances in life, or a situation in life, or something surrounding me, and there is no hope for solutions, or worse, that the solutions are arduous, painful, and problematic, ones that will inevitably come with conflict or pain, worry, fear, and anxiety take over. This morning I want to look at how God was working through Mary to offer us hope in the presence of our collective anxiety. I want to look at that. Because we'll just slow roll through that scene in her life when the angel of the Lord appears to her. And just step into her moment for a minute. But if you are new to Christianity, let me catch you up to speed on what was happening. Mary was a teenager and she was a virgin And she was engaged to be married. She was what the scriptures call betrothed. And it was a legal arrangement like it was a done deal. And so she had saved herself for Joseph. She was ready to be married. It would be a momentous occasion. Big deal in that culture. And that's where she was when we step into this particular story in scripture. That's where she is as a human being. Sometimes we forget that Mary was indeed a human being with real fears, anxieties, worries and troubles and anticipation and expectation of what marriage would be like and what raising kids in a family would be like and what the traveling on the feasts and festivals and the family and the all the things that we dream about, right? She had all of those. 
She would have had expectations for what was next in her life. And that's where we come to her. That's the scene that we find her being interrupted in. So here it is. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 begins this way. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel... I mean, if you're going to get a visit from any angel, that's a pretty good one to get a visit from, right? I mean, Gabriel shows up. Man, you would have been like in awe and terrified at the same time. So here's Gabriel, and then here's sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now remember, if you know your Bible, and if you don't, it's okay, I'm going to tell you. Remember what the declaration is just a little bit later about Nazareth, right? Like, what did one of the leaders say about Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, is let's be real. Can anything good come from that forsaken place on the earth? That's where Gabriel goes. Because 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says what? God chooses to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's the way he works. So this makes total sense for those of us living 2,000 years later. We go back and go, God's, God's there. And yet, we need to apply that here, right? And so, here it goes. She, so, he appears in Galilee of Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That's important, right? It's the right line. This is the right moment. I have a mentor who says, when you make decisions, right time, right place, right people. All those boxes are getting checked. Insignificant Mary, in an insignificant place, at an insignificant time. So here we are. And he came to her, this is Gabriel speaking, remember, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She got real excited. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. Right? Like we forget, Mary was a teenage girl who had never done the things that make you pregnant, and she was being visited by the angel Gabriel. Just put yourself in those shoes. Like, how would you respond? You would immediately go seek psychiatric help. Like, I didn't do the thing the angel told me I did, so I can't be pregnant. And it was an angel. Like, I'm losing my ever-loving mind. Because we're conditioned to believe that God's not intervening into time and space anymore. And we would collectively disagree and say he absolutely is. And so here's, here's Mary and here is what happens in her in verse 29. The scripture says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. Are you aware that when you are in the face of your worries, fears, and anxieties, and I come up here on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and tell you to fear not, the Lord is with you, that you can very much so still walk out of here greatly troubled. My naivety in declaring that to you Sunday in and Sunday out, and then you have the audacity to go home and still be afraid is ludicrous. Just kidding. I walk out of here still worried and afraid and of all the things, right? Because it does, like I said last week, it does just take one phone call, one diagnosis, one whatever, one lost job, one lost friend, one lost family member. It doesn't matter. Something somewhere can 
in an instant take it away. And we know that, and so we live with this low-grade fever in life, don't we? And then when those things happen, we're not prepared for them because we're trusting in the wrong thing. And so here's Mary. She's afraid. She's not just afraid. Don't you love how Scripture is honest with you? And with me, it says he, she was greatly troubled. Greatly troubled. I can only imagine what was running through her mind. And she says she was greatly troubled and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's obviously a wise woman. Because she's greatly troubled, but she immediately tries to start discerning what this kind of greeting would be. And I respect that. And I think that you would probably be in that same space as God allows things to happen in your life. That you would maybe be greatly troubled at what is being allowed through the gates of your life. And yet, we have enough faith to say, I think God's probably working here. But like that dad who walked up to Jesus, we would say, I believe, but I'm going to need you to help my unbelief. That is the confession of being a human. And so, so... This is where she's at and she's greatly troubled. And just think through the progression, right? Single virgin engaged and miraculously pregnant. You'd be troubled too. And so what can I suggest to you in that moment of your life where things aren't exactly as you had hoped them to be that would help you defy your worries and your fears? What would I offer? I want to offer you two bids. I want to make two bids to your faith. Right? And I can't accept that bid for you either, by the way. I want to give two bids to your soul. Two bids to where you put your hope. Two bids to reality. Two bids to embodying your faith this Advent. But I want you to know that you have to accept the bid. You have to accept the bid. I can't do it for you. I will pray for you. And scripture says there's power in that. But I want to invite you. I want to, in a way, woo your affections toward Jesus this morning. That's what Paul asked the people in Colossae to do, right? He said, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Why did he say that? Because we actually have to do that. We have to take it and set it there because we're not going to do it in our own natural desires. And so that's where we're at. And so, number one, if you're writing things down, I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to listen during your worry. Listen in the midst of your worry. So often when worry comes, we, we, jump, we jump right to solutions. We jump right to plans. We jump right to what we are capable of. And oftentimes, God is allowing these things, like He did for Job, to bring you to the end of yourself because that's where you might find him. And so the, the first bid to bring your affections to Jesus, for you to set your affection on things above, for you to make room in your heart this Advent, for you to put your hope, for you to find hope anywhere, is for you to listen in the midst of your worry, in the midst of, and you can fill in whatever that is for you, pain, suffering, Celebration. Sometimes we can be having such a good time in life that we miss the Lord. 
listen during think about it. Mary did not miraculously avoid worry because she had the immaculate conception. She did not just suddenly have no worries anymore. It says she was greatly troubled and then she gave birth to the son of God. She didn't just parent him perfectly to the Via Dolorosa where he would die on the cross for the sins of the world and rise again. And she didn't have any of that. She was still raising Jesus with a bunch of other kids, the scripture says, who, by the way, didn't believe in Jesus till he rose from the dead. She had all the worries of being a mom. She had all the worries of providing. She had all the worries that you would have. She didn't just wake up one day. No, no, no. No scripture said she was greatly troubled at the news. (laughs) Greatly troubled. That's Greek for freaked out. Full of anxiety. Getting on Google immediately searching for a quick fix to anxiety. Got to be a book. Have you ever been greatly troubled in your life? You can answer. You can nod. Yeah. So have I. You know, we could, we could press that button a little farther. And I know most of you, and I know that some of you, you're still greatly troubled in life right now. I love that Bonhoeffer quote so much because it, it just it lays out what it looks like to prepare room in your heart. Only possible for those who know they're troubled in soul. This is real stuff we're talking about. Mary's just not a story. It is a story. It's a great story. But it's a story that can bring the Spirit. It can usher the Spirit of God into your life, right? Because the Bible says that it's living and active. Able to go into the deepest parts of who you are and divide things that need dividing. Wooing your affections to where it needs to be wooed. Practical implications. Let me say it to you this way. Part of building a Sabbath culture in your soul, in your life, is not to jump to conclusions. Not to just listen to the noise. Not to entertain the noise. But rather to, in the face of that worry, in the face of that noise, in the face of that busyness, in the face of whatever it is, whatever that blank is for you, to actually stop, rest, and listen for divine action. I don't know that we even know how to do that. What does it look like to stop? I, 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 most of the time, I can't get to that. I can't, I can't even do that, let alone get to the next part. What does it look like to stop and rest? What well, rest? That sounds, that sounds great, by the way, doesn't it? Some of you are like, I have a four-year-old. It's never happening again. You have no hope for the future. <laughs> I promise you this too shall pass. Let me bring hope to you right now. It will come. But perhaps just that little sentence, stop, rest, and listen for divine direction, is actually perhaps the most difficult thing we do with all the distractions we have around us. I mean, I have been preaching in this place and had things pop up on my iPad while I talk to you. And I start to think about it. I forgot to put do not disturb on. Idiot, you had one job. Deliver the word to the people and you're thinking about the buccaneers. Not that that's what popped up or anything. No, no, no. God had, listen to me, God had a specific plan for a very insignificant Mary. That brings me hope. First Corinthians one twenty seven brings me hope. 
that not only did he have a plan, but listen to this. This is this is another separator of the Christian faith that not only did he have a plan and purpose for her life, but he accompanied that plan and purpose for her life. Right. It says a few things. It says that, that she would be filled with the spirit, that his favor would be upon her and that the glory of the most high would what Sh- overshadow her. I love that. That no matter where she went, no matter where you go, the Lord is with you, always with you. What allowed her fear to dissipate in that moment as she began to listen? Look at verse 30 and following. Here's what it says. It says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Doesn't say she will be great, does it? No, no, no. It says he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, the obvious question. Right? And I love that she asks it. God's not afraid of your questions, by the way. If you don't understand what is happening, how on earth can your favor, how on earth can the Holy Spirit who lives in me be greater than one who's in the world when I can't even get past my own head? Let alone deal with the anxieties of life and the actual things happening. That, that's where she asks, I love this. How can this be since I am a virgin? I mean, there's only one question that would unlock all the rest of the things. I've never done the thing that creates the thing. Speaking code. got children in the room. (laughs) Great question, right? When's the last time you asked God an obvious question? God, you said that these things are true, but I don't see them. Would, would Would you show yourself to me? And he would invite you to abide in him and he in you. He would invite you to stop and rest and listen for divine action. He would ask you to stop and rest And look around at the trees and the birds and the ants and the grass and the ocean and the children and all the things that declare the glory of God. How can this be since I'm a virgin and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold... Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived also a son. That was John the Baptist. And this will be the sixth month, her who was called barren. And then listen to this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What dissipated her fear in that moment? I would submit to you that it was simply... The only thing that was declared to her is that the Spirit would fill her and that she would name her son Jesus. What's in a name? Why do we gather Sunday after Sunday? Why do billions of people gather Sunday after Sunday or Saturday after Saturday and declare 
one name for thousands of years. What's the name? Jesus. An angel of God, Gabriel, shows up to a teenage Mary and says, everything's going to change. Like everything. Your whole life disrupted. All the plans you had, gone. But listen, the Lord will be, the Holy Spirit will be with you. And you are going to give birth to a son through an immaculate conception. And you are going to name him Jesus. What's in a name? What's in a name? I would submit that everything is in that name. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Philippian people about the name, right? Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him what? The name that is above what? Every name. So that at what? The name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In the seen and the unseen, right? What's it say? It says in heaven and on earth. In both the seen things and the unseen things. There's things going on. And both worlds, both realms at the same time bow the knee to King Jesus. That's why we have hope. That's why we have expectation. And then look what it says. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Come on. You want to have hope this Advent? You want to look directly into the face of your fears and anxiety? Just declare one thing. The name. The name. If you are in Christ, like Mary, you can step right into the fear and say, let it be to me according to your word. The only thing that's trustworthy. The only thing that's trustworthy. When we listen to his word, abide in Christ, our fears are calmed and our trust is rightly ordered. By the way, it doesn't go away. Mary still had a baby. She still walked through all the things. She did everything. All the things still happened. There was still pain. There were still raising kids. They lost Jesus a few times. <laughs> did all the things, right? Found him at the temple of all places. Talking to the leaders. I mean, how annoyed were his siblings? He didn't even get in trouble for getting lost. <laughs> she was filled with the Spirit of God. That's how she did all the things. And if you're in Christ, you too are filled with the Spirit of God. And if that is true, there's only one response, and Mary does it here, and I love it. There's only one response that stirs our affections for Jesus no matter the circumstances. Number two, if you're writing things down, is worship during your worry. You can worship right there in the midst of your worry. It's about the only thing that will calm your fear. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55. This is a song that bursts out of Mary's body. He has this encounter with an angel she is greatly troubled, and as she hears the word of the Lord, the only thing that can come out of her at that point is a song. I love that. Art is born out of her in response to what God's doing in her life. Look at what she says. And Mary said, 
better translation. Mary sang, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Here we are, thousands of years later, calling her blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown me strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring for Ever And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The result of Mary listening and receiving from God was worship. It wasn't some big gathering. It was, it was the move of God in her life resulted in a song. The rightful reaction of the movement of God and his people is to worship. It's what we do. We respond in worship. I love how John Mark Comer frames this kind of lifestyle in his book, On Hurry. It's a great one if you haven't read it. But here's what he says. He says, what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul. And what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you give your attention to. That's why Paul says you need to set your affections on things above, right? That's our choice. God's always at work. He's always working. He's always moving. His will can't be thwarted. He is ruling, reigning. He's resting on the throne. And yet that vertical reality can at the same time have very practical horizontal realities in your life. What will you do with your time, your attention? Look at this. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in this world. How many things are distracting you from that kind of posture? A whole lot. A whole lot. One of the very basic tools you have this Advent is your time. One of the very basic tools you have this Advent is your attention. Where and who and with who will you abide? Where will you remain? Mary wasn't changing her circumstances. All of that stayed. She was invited by divine direction to trust and follow the plan and purpose of God. And that same invitation is extended to you and me. And she worships in response. What will we do? What will you do? As the anxieties of life come, what will you do? Where does your hope come from? The great news, the good news of great joy is that Jesus is coming again. That just like my kids on Christmas can't wait to burst through the door, we can't wait for Jesus to burst through the door. I'm as excited sitting out there for my kids to run out as they are to run out. That is the posture of our heart. The Lord is coming. Always coming. 
Perhaps you're worried about everything today because you don't pray about anything. And I just give you the practical call to, in the face of your worry, in the face of your fear, in the face of whatever it is that you would put there, to listen and to worship. Will you listen and will you worship? Sometimes those are the only two tools in your tool bag. But they are powerful tools simply because God chooses to work through the weak things in the world to shame the strong. That is our hope today. Jesus coming again. Amen? I want you to stand with me. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing that song again that we already sang. And this time, I want you to sing it thinking about the fact that God is at work in the world. I want to invite you just for these two minutes to listen for divine action, to worship in the midst of your worry. Wherever you find yourself today. Because the Lord is coming. Amen.